48-hour art check. Best of podcast. We go live Monday, Wednesday, Friday on YouTube. 9 p.m. California time, and you can join us there live in the chats or watch them later. You can always check things out at coreykerr.com slash 48HR. We take the best conversations from those live streams and rip them and put them into this podcast. Today's topic is feast or famine. So um, there is this prevailing kind of theory and and knowledge that kind of travels with a lot of artists who've worked professionally for a long period of time, especially in freelance, um, about this kind of philosophy of feast and famine. Because a lot of the time when you're a business, you're going to have these periods, especially self-employed, you're going to have periods of like immense amounts of clients that uh, get to a point where they're almost unsustainable. It's like you are having a massive feast period and out of nowhere you can get hit with just these mass famines and it's kind of hard to predict and hard to control and it's something you have to kind of learn how to, um, at least most uh, freelancers I know have had to learn how to kind of um, think, kind of back plan for um, famine periods and also to back plan a little bit for feast periods because you don't want to be in a position where you're turning away too many clients and you also don't want to be in a position where um, you can't kind of survive like a dry period as a freelancer. And so I thought um, it would be a good kind of topic to bring up because I know when I was running my own uh, illustration business for close to 15 years, um, it was... Uh, mostly like that, like for about 15 years of it. Um, And, you know, it would sometimes be a whole year of feast where I would make more in that year than I'd ever made. Um, And then the next year would be like the flattest or like the the most red year I've ever had um, financially. And and it would kind of, it is one of those things of like uh, um, an unpredictable market because it wasn't necessarily reliant on um, how the market itself was doing. It just, it, it's kind of this unpredictable, um, thing and you can kind of plan for it and you can forecast it a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's an interesting thing to navigate. And I think especially for young artists when they're first starting out, um, doing their own illustrations or graphic designs for a living, um, like that's going to be one of their first challenges is like, if they have a really good feast period and they're like i quit my job i'm starting my own business um and then when it goes dry that's usually where you see the longevity of a business is like um when it when it goes into that famine period can it survive or you know is that person just going to go straight back to like their day job or or whatever it is um and for me that was always a really interesting challenge and a, a thing that was hard to navigate i thought it would be a good topic um, particularly because it's something I've had to deal with in the past. I know Scott, you're like, re- you know, recently kind of embarking on a on a freelance journey yourself, and I think you have a lot more um, back planning than I did when I initially started. And I think you also have like a, a much different business model. But um, but I do find it fascinating, and I'm I'm kind of curious to hear like how you navigate that and how you plan to navigate that kind of up and down of the market. And then, um, Corey, you know, you've, you've 
been a creative director before and stuff. So you, you're used to the idea of having to do that on a business scale, um, kind of plan for ups and downs of, of, um, the market of just the way business goes where you'll have immense years of profit and then it'll go dry. (laughs) And, um, and it's a, it's a fascinating thing to kind of try to navigate and try to prepare for and try to kind of prevent. Um, and I don't know, I just thought it would be a good can of worms to kind of open. So, um, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Like, uh, like, you know, initially about my, feast and famine. <laughs> my my yeah. main my main thought is I'm kind of interested to see what you guys have to say because my experience with this is is super limited. I, I've my whole career worked for someone and had a really steady income. Um, I've been involved in uh, a couple rounds of having layoffs on my team to kind of compensate for the business. And the frustrating thing is. As a, as an art director, marketing director, you know whatever. Um, when I don't control the purse strings, there's not a lot I can do to plan for those times. So you just kind of hope yeah. that the people that do, uh, you know, can. the The only thing the only thing that I've done is, um, whenever my team had any any light at the end of the tunnel, I would try to challenge them to come up with new revenue streams. And so like. There were there were times where we kind of saw like two times where we saw some some writing on the wall and uh, we started our own brand of uh, ukuleles and guitars and and now that you know is a, is a huge portion of that business I, I've since left it but um, an, another time we um, we kind of made a major shift which doesn't sound this big of a deal now but this was nine years ago um we had a major shift from a b2b model to an online uh sales model and so my my only thing with planning is really like you know if you see an opportunity and things are good don't don't wait for them to be bad because you need that ramp up time as a business to be able to kind of like say you know well luckily two years ago we started this line of guitars and now we have you know uh now they're in 900 stores and so yeah and, and we're the ones that are manufacturing them and so our margins are good enough to kind of carry us through kind of the shift in the market that's that's really all i've got that and, and that's pretty much it so I'm, I'm curious in what you guys have to say and i'll probably just listen in to the most of the rest of the conversation yeah um scott well what do you what do you have to kind of chime in with that i mean obviously it's got to be something on the forefront of your mind you know being something you yeah. might have to buy with hopefully oh. not well, first of all, I just want to say, just to let everyone know, because I mean, some of the, the people that may be watching or in the future watching this uh, may be, you know, just starting off or whatever. And the whole idea of a feast period is kind of like a good problem to have. Um, so just to put that out front. But, okay. you know, we've, we've all been doing this for a while. So, um, but, uh, so, I mean, my... Yeah, my business model uh, or just the way I worked has is been so varied. I mean, I've had, you know, I've had times where I, you know, when I obviously when I first started off, it was, you know, I had, you know, regular uh, when I first started working as a professional artist, you know, I had a, a and I wasn't doing a whole lot on the side other than my own comics and stuff, but I wasn't like publishing them or anything. It's just kind of 
that kind of thing. And then, you know, as I went on, then I, then I, you know, <laughs> inevitably what happens when you work as an artist for a company, you get laid off and every single art job I've ever had has been the case. Um, I think my longest is at a company is usually around three years. So, um, so, you know, you'll work for a company and then you'll get laid off and then you'll say, Oh, what do I do? And you start doing some freelance and everything. And, you know, you can start, start bringing in some money doing that. And then sometimes I was doing that. And on the side, I would do like construction and things like that just to make ends meet and everything. And, um, so there was a, there was a lot of periods where, and there were some periods where I worked a part-time creative job and did freelance on the side. I mean, I've kind of just, I've done just about everything, you know? Um, so there's different, there's different ways to, to look at it that way and, and just kind of, you know, and a lot of it is just, you know, whatever you need to do to, to make ends meet. But, you know, but I've also had those times where like, like I'm right doing right now is where it's all freelance. And right now is a little different. I guess I'll get into that in a minute. But um, when I first really started doing freelance full time, you know, it was a lot of, you know, a lot of promotion and stuff and getting the word out. And, and, um, and sometimes that doesn't leave as much time to, to be creative or actually do the projects and everything. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's definitely ups and down. And, and the, you know, the biggest thing is just how do you manage your money? And yeah, you know, in certain case, like I, I tend to do really well with that. You know, when I was married, it was a little more difficult because, you know, there's another person involved. And even though they kind of make their own money, it's like, you know, just not getting too much into the different spending habits and things like that, all that for me, I'm personally by myself. Um, I know what, you know, what I can bring in. I know what sacrifices I need to make to, to live the way I do, which is I can live pretty sparsely. So I put, I put money away, you know, obviously you need to put money away for, for taxes and things like that. You have to be ready for that. So it's, it's also kind of like a lifestyle and, you know, the other thing that I do is usually what I do spend money on is usually kind of going back into the business as far as, you know, whether it's computer software or computer equipment or, or anything, things that I can like write off at the end of the year and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and that's, and it's kind of cool because it's like, because my hobby is also the thing I like, yeah. if I get a new cool software, it's like, Oh, I just bought this really cool thing, but it's yeah. also for the business. So it's like, so I feel like I feel like oh I made this 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 large like when I bought my Cintiq for you know and for instance and you know I and I bought it used and everything so it didn't cost as much as if you buy a new one and everything but it was a big purchase I'm like you get this thing and it's like this brand new toy it's like yeah. I'm like some people if they get a new ATV or something like that for me it's the Cintiq but the cool thing is I can kind of write that off and um, so so that's kind of the good thing is that the things I do spend money on. I enjoy, but I also, but they're also part of the business and everything. So, um, it kind of, you can, you can write some of that stuff off. So it's things like that. It's just, it's, I mean, it's kind of where it's like just kind of a lot of trial and error and, and kind of like you were talking about earlier, kind of anticipating for, you know, what's going to happen in the future. So, I mean, I have a savings and I, you know, I, there's a certain point if it gets below that, I start to get a little nervous. So I try not to keep that, I try to keep that at a certain level and everything. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes like right now I'm at a point where I'm like really considering getting an iPad pro 
and I've got, but I, but it's going to get to that point where if I get that iPad Pro, that savings it might not drop below what where I want it, but I'm going to get kind of close. So I'm like, ooh, it's kind of making me nervous, that type of thing. Yeah, but, you know. I'm also the thing that I'm doing now, which is a little different, is although I'm doing freelance, it's kind of like the freelance that I'm doing right now almost serves as what those other part-time jobs did before, where the goal isn't when it was before, the goal was to get more freelance work. Now yeah. the goal is to do freelance to help support all this other stuff that I'm doing, building my own personal brand and things like that. And I'm mm -hmm. getting to the point where I can I have, you know, multiple streams of income, although that I don't that that sounds really impressive, although those multiple streams of income are very small increments right now, but I'm hoping they'll grow. You know, I get like just today I got like from Amazon affiliates, I think I got like a $50, you know, check. And again, that not check, it, it goes, it's the way Amazon does this. It's like, if, if you want to cash out and spend that money somewhere else, it, I think it costs a little more money, but if you want to use it as an Amazon gift card, which is fine because I'll just buy, I buy a lot of stuff on Amazon for the business. Yeah. So it, Kind of gets goes back into that. So, so I mean, there's that, and then I, you know, there's little things here. I get a little thing from T-shirt sales. I get things from my digital sales, and you know, it's definitely not a lot to live off of or anything like that. It's like, you know, a lot of it's kind of like coffee money or lunch money and stuff like that. Yeah. But I keep adding, I keep building it. The good thing is that you know, whereas before I was in a situation where, like last year, was probably I probably had best year financially I ever had because I had the full-time job and I had tons of freelance stuff and my other stuff. Yeah. Full-time job, which, and that's the other thing you can, you might want to ask yourself, can, what's going to happen if I lose 50% of my income? Am I going to be out in the streets and will I yeah. be able to survive? And I was at a point where that happened. I lost 50% of my income, but I'm right now I I'm have you know I like the situation I'm in way better even though I get, I'm getting you know I, my income is cut in half because yeah. I now I have enough where I can get by you know and yeah. very modestly um but I still you know but I but I have all this extra time and I know sometimes on this when I do these art checks it's all about I don't have enough time to do all this stuff but yeah but I have a lot more time than I did before so so that's really cool. So as long as I can keep doing that and then, you know, but I, you know, in the back of my head, it's always like, you know, is there going to be another financial crash and all this yeah. stuff, see all the stuff that's going on now with the, with the colleges and people, I, you know, I'm just worried that there's that, that, uh, you know, the student loan debt bubble is going to burst and we're going to yep. be back or the housing thing and no one learned their lesson from the housing thing either. So, yeah. you know, that's possible that that could happen again. And then I'm like, well, Am I in a position where I can survive that really without having to go, you know, work whatever job I can take? I don't know, but I mean, I'm but hopefully, <laughs> if I can hold off a little bit till whenever that next financial crash happens, and if I can start building some of the, you know, building up some of these other streams of income, yeah. um, then you know, maybe I'll be in a better situation. So, yeah. Um, but really nowadays it's, it's, you really almost have to do that because nothing is there's, there's, you know, it, it's funny because like, you know, my dad's kind of old school. My dad, you know, he worked for a company forever. There was a, he worked for a company, made really good money. He was in the swimming pool business 
And then he started his own company. And then I don't, I don't really know because I was younger when that happened, but the business eventually failed. And that was along the, t- the time him and my mom got divorced. So I don't know how much of what had to do with what, but, um, but then he started working for a company and he's been with that company for, I don't know, 25 years or something. He's getting ready to retire at the end of yeah. the year. But he's kind of, he has this mindset that, yeah, you just kind of work for a company for your company. whole life. Yeah. And he, he doesn't understand. I don't know if he really understands that that's just, you can't do that. So like, I just help help my cousin out. He just bought a food truck and he used to, he used to, um, he was in the kind of food service business. He traveled with like rock bands and stuff and catered for them. And he did all that stuff. So he'd sock money away and he bought this food truck. And my dad was kind of like, cause I, I helped my cousin do the graphics for his food truck. And, um, and my dad was like, yeah, I don't know. I hope, I hope he does. Okay. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of like risky that I don't know that food truck yeah. thing. And it's like very, you know, that thing. But to me, it's like awesome. You know, I'm like to my cousin, I'm like, this is awesome, man. It's awesome that you're doing this and everything. And same with me. Anytime I, you know, I, you know, he's still, have you been looking for a full-time job? And I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of looking, but I'm not, you know, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, watch this, but yeah, he just doesn't, he doesn't understand. Like, especially like when, when I was working for, uh, when I was working in video games, uh-huh. the, the whole idea of, um, of, uh, What's the term? Um, uh, what's the term I'm thinking of? Uh, basically, there's a term for it. I can't think, but basically, where you you give everything for free, and then some people will pay, or like in video games, it's like a oh freemium. I don't know, freemium. That's what I'm looking at. The freemium model. So he did not understand. It. He did not understand how these game these game companies were making money, and they were making a lot of money at the time. Yeah. But that was all contingent on the success of their next game, and eventually. Um, they had some games where that weren't successful and the company went under, but in the, in the Tay day, it was, they were doing really great, you know? Um, yeah. so off of people spending little bits here on, on video games that they're playing most that the 90% of the people are paying, playing, playing for free. Yeah. So it, it's, it's just kind of a weird thing, but I mean, nowadays you really can't, you can't think that way that you're going to start working for a company and stay with them your whole life. I mean, that's yeah. just the, really not a thing so so you kind of have to it's weird but you kind of have to prepare that for that kind of thing and i think i yeah. think there's for uh job security and doing your own thing rather than kind of relying on somebody else so so yeah. and i'm game i mean i'm old i'm gonna two years i'm gonna be 50 years old and you know so i'm kind of late to this game but i'm you know i guess it's never too late but i don't yeah. want to you know i you know i want to i I've been getting better at business and learning about this other stuff, learning about passive income, all this other stuff and learning about promoting myself and everything. But if any of you guys out there are younger guys and gals out there are younger, um, you're in a way better position because yes. I mean, you start now. Like I, when I was talking about that kid I was talking to, he said he had a YouTube channel. He just hadn't posted anything that he draws and stuff. I said, I said, start now. I said, cause like, like, if you start now, you're going to be so far ahead of the game because like me, I, I told him most people don't, most kids, I, the biggest audience on YouTube are, are, are young people. And a lot of young people don't care to watch some old guy talk about art. So, yeah. but if you're a kid, you, you have a way better advantage. So I'm kind of telling him this. So hopefully, hopefully that kid will do that. If that's what he wants to do. Yeah. But um, anyway, I, I don't know if I'm rambling or whatever. No, it's great. I, I think you've touched on a lot of really important things. Like I think, um, 
like there's a couple things like one is you know I, I've been at my place of business this is my fifth year you know but I'm also aware of the market and so part of the reason I even do personal projects is to keep my commercial viability um, and the nice thing is I have the luxury of working on this like artsy comic that I don't have to really worry about the income that I'm drawing from it um, which is kind of a luxury and and the neat thing is like you know you're working on on comics as well that are kind of more of a long shot kind of prospect, but they're more of like, you know, creatively indulging. Um, but the beauty of that is like, you know, through the 15 years or so that I got freelance and did freelance, the stuff that I ended up in like design annuals and like, there's these collections of like, you know, thousand best t-shirts of like, you know, the, the two thousands and I'm in them. And uh, there's like weird interviews that I've done where it was like my name in a, in a magazine and art. None of that stuff was stuff that I took for fun. Like, I mean, not for fun, for for money. None of it was. It, w- it was all passion projects that got like press or promotion or like anything that looked really sexy when you go to a job interview. All of that stuff was stuff that I just did for passion and then happened to result in money later on. Yeah. And um, and so I, I like I really advocate for that. I think there's a couple reasons, um, regardless of whether you have a day job or not, um, that you should be preparing um, for the potential loss of that job or at least keeping yourself viable in the market outside of that job. And I think part of it's just sanity, too. Like, I think that if you get locked into a day job being a company man with the mentality and the personality of most artists, I think you'll go nuts. Um, I, th- I think you actually need to be having a creative outlet and, and that keep, keep in mind, that's the same for freelance. Like I think when you're doing freelance, if you get locked into a pattern of just doing stuff for money, um, which I, which I found myself in quite frequently. Um, and I think it's really cool seeing like Scott, your model, because I think your model, um, allows for that viability of doing, um, the passion projects and the stuff for money and kind of fusing it in a really like good way. Um, because you're, you're having kind of equal output of both, if not more on the personal project, um, front, which I think that's, that's inevitably where you should try to be. Um, and, and that is kind of a way to plan for the feast and famine of the market, because one thing that's kind of evergreen is just beautiful, cool artwork. (laughs) And unfortunately, like a lot of what people want to pay for is not beautiful, cool artwork. Um, And so if if you're relying on, you know, getting that wonderful, sexy client that's going to give you great portfolio work, um, you're you're really, I think, um, you know, really spinning a a ball for a lack of success or a success that's not going to be pleasant because all you're going to be doing is making stuff you don't like for money. so I think you have to be per- pursuing personal work and that personal work also kind of creates all these other things like streams of passive income um, and potential other clients. Um, and so it's weird because right now I'm working on a much bigger long shot than I think I've worked on in a long time. And so I hope there's a little bit of a payoff at least when it comes to like press and stuff like that when I'm done with it. Um, because once again, it's a, it's a bit of a risk to kind of take myself out of the market outside of my workplace. Like I'm not going to work, um, for competitors or anything, 
but I will definitely work, you know, continue to work in apparel and other industries that don't really compete with the industry I'm working in professionally. Um, because it, it's just, it's, it's absolutely necessary. Um, I think to kind of keep that because like Scott, like for instance, had you not had passive streams of income or other options, like when that layoff happened, you would have been like up the Creek, you know, but luckily you had this beautifully built portfolio and you have like some viability in the market because you've maintained doing personal projects while you had a day job. And so I think um, that's a really good lesson. And, and similarly, like when I was freelancing um, and this is, you know, I made the young mistake of like my first year of freelancing was fairly successful. <clears throat> and so I spent a lot, like I didn't have a savings built up or anything like that. So the next year when it dried up, that was like a really fearful moment. Like that was one of the scariest years of my life just financially. And then it adds a lot of stress and then it takes away that extra time. Um, like I said, that you can kind of make creative output and stay sane as a creator. So it's like the saving thing is really important, especially for new artists. Like let's say you're the hot new thing and you get like 10 of the coolest jobs you can possibly get and you're suddenly getting paid more than you imagined. Um, that, that burns out really quick. Like that, whatever amount you've made will go by very quick um, if the clients dry up. And so it is really smart to kind of be uh, frugal and like be smart and live within your means and uh, realize like it's, it's possibly temporary. Um, and that, and that goes for people with day jobs in creative too. Um, creative is not uh, it, it's a performance based job and it's a market based job usually. So the market can change and your performance can change. And so it's like one of those things of like, you really have to try to kind of come up with ways to stay viable um, in the market and also just stay sharp with what you're doing. And what Scott was mentioning too is like, I don't think enough freelancers talk about this. Like I knew a lot of, uh, I'll put in quotes, professional freelancers. <laughs> they, they were professional, but if you took away like, um, like a lot of them, uh, and this is just a lot of people I've known um, in the industry where they call themselves you know, full-time freelance illustrators. But um, if you took away their spouse, they would be like it, living in a box. I mean, like, it, you know, they, they weren't making enough income to really match like somebody working full-time at like a, a McDonald's. And I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying there's a reality to the illustration market that isn't really spoken about a lot where it, it requires um, sometimes like, you know, there are people who make a living at it. There's a, a smaller amount of people who make a really good living at it. And then among them, um, you know, there, and, and then among most illustrators, there's a lot of people who don't like they couldn't make a living doing it. Yeah, um, and luckily they've, they've found ways to accommodate it. I'm not knocking, not being able to make a living at it cause it's really hard. And to be honest, I could be in that position tomorrow you know, where I, I'm struggling to really make ends meet with my art. Um, but one nice thing, and Scott and I have touched on this before about having done it for a lot of, a lot of years, it's like, I won't be in a place that I'm not familiar with if the market drops or like tomorrow I lose my job or something, because I've had to scramble and make it work um, so many times. And there's nothing like, this is another thing I don't think they talk about a lot 
or people talk about a lot when it comes to art, but there's nothing to be ashamed of, of like having to like, maybe you do have to like go work construction for a little bit or like you might have to work fast food for a little bit or fall back on something else. Like maybe your education allows you to, like I have a little fallback, like this is years ago, but um, one of the fallbacks I came up with was I just took the test to be a substitute teacher. I've never had to use it, but I do have that card. Um, so if ever everything drops out, I always have that to fall back on. I could always go to the local school district and just be like, I want to substitute teach. And um, I'm not saying you have to have a fallback, but it's funny because you also brought up, I'm sorry, I'm going to, I'm rambling now too, but it's just, you brought up so many good things. Like your dad's mentality is a good thing to kind of bring up too, because a lot of that mentality came from, um, and I, it might sound political, but I, I don't think it's too political, but it's like an era where unions were stronger. And so people have much more secure careers with pensions and like built in health insurance and retirement plans and 401ks. And the market is gradually shifting away from that where the 401ks have now become like profit sharing programs that aren't really going to reward you as well as a 401k would. Um, if even that at a business and with the art world, it's, it, it's really, it's really hard to get like a solid stable career. Um, animation and video games are a really good example of that. Like everyone I know in animation, they're, they're lucky to be on a job for about two to three years. And then usually it'll shift because the showrunners change or the show changes yeah, or they do an update and a refresh. And then they have to go to like, let's say they're at Warner Brothers. They have to go test at Nickelodeon and hope that they get on a team there and just hope that like they weren't jerks when they were on on staff. So hopefully some of their friends will hook them up. But almost every artist like who's kind of managed to eke a living at this is, has like multiple side hustles going on and multiple personal projects going on. So at least in the interim, like even if you have to take a construction job or you have to take like, I don't know, if you have to clean toilets or whatever, whatever you got to do to make a living, like there's no shame in it. Um but the point being, while you're doing that, like, I would hope you've built up a portfolio that you're proud of so that, like, you can, like, you know, while you're cleaning toilets, like, when you get home, like, send out those desperate emails for work and get them, you know, get get the work because you've built the portfolio and you've, and you've got the skill and the talent, um, and, you know, because, like, once again, if you're a company man, you end up with company art and company art doesn't tend to appeal to art directors because art directors are bored doing company art. They're looking for something inspiring that shows your skills and like the kind of inspiring work that shows your skills is the type of stuff that Scott Scott's built up for years um, while doing the company thing. Yeah. And, you know, so that's something to really keep in mind. Like Corey um, equally, I'd say, is in that position where you know, you're teaching, but you're also staying relevant and viable. And that's huge in academia because the second you lose viability, um, you, you start getting, uh, I mean, not super job insecurity because like there's beautiful things like tenure track positions that can pretty much secure your job um, for a very long time. And the second you're tenured, um, your job security is much better. But then again, you know, read a, a little bit about what what the current threats are to the college system and how like schooling yeah. is starting to get automated and go online. 
like that can come and go as well. Like school budgets are really kind of iffy. So also once there's, again, like, there's no tenure at the school that I teach at. So, ah, so there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but, but I'd like to add another, another yeah. aspect of what you're talking about that I think is really important with this, this whole idea of feast and famine. Um, and this whole idea of there's no shame in taking something. I think sometimes, um, we, fall into the trap of only valuing our art based on its monetary value. Um, when I think your yes. art is valuable, um, I think I think the value of art is intrinsic, um, not extrinsic. And so that means that like I value the work that I'm producing um, whether or not it sells. You know, I sell yes. very few original pages mainly because I value them so highly that most people are like, yeah, that's cool, but that's a lot of money. Um, but at the same time, like that validation is one form of value, right? But it's not the only form of value. And the other thing is um, there's nothing wrong with adjacent skills. And that's how, yeah. I, that's how I've kind of done it. Um, you know, I, I have not, you know, I've not been in the workforce as long as you guys, but I have done, I've done whatever I can to stay, to stay relevant with adjacent skills because there is a lot of work out there to be had for kind of the Swiss army knife, Swiss army knife creative. I am yeah. not the best uh, shooter when it comes to video, um, but I'm very proficient. I'm not the best yeah. editor when it comes to video, but I'm very proficient in photography and illustration and graphic design and art direction and, and on and on and on and on into adjacent fields like marketing and marketing strategy you know, I, I've spent my career um, consuming and developing as much as I possibly can surrounding yes. the type of things that I'm doing. And actually what that does is that I am not a specialist, um, but I tend to end up – there's no way to sound this that doesn't sound really cocky, but I tend to end up – managing teams of specialists like yeah I'll, I'll get i'll get jobs and and kind of rise and it's different in teaching because you don't there's not like a ladder to climb um yeah and that took me some getting used to but but ultimately um you know i i have the skills that i hope i never lose my job because that that sounds terrifying and and, yeah, and whatnot but really i could i could start shooting photography and videography um tomorrow Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm just I'm just uh, one or two pieces of equipment away from being able to to instantly have streams of income. And then in addition to that, um, you know, I've, I've got a lot of stuff going along where I may be able to just put the word out and say, you know, hey, listen, I've got, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've got the ability to animate and illustrate and design. So what do you what does everybody yeah. need? And then in addition to that, like. Um, in the next couple months, I'm gonna get my I'm gonna get my pilot's license for um, for the drone drone certification, right? And so, yeah. um, you know, because the FAA requires that if you are flying a drone commercially, um, that you have to have a pilot's license, and it's not the same yeah. as a as an aircraft pilot license, but there's very specific rules. I, I don't intend on monetizing that, but if I needed to, I just go to every realtor in town and I say, uh, listen, I, I have, I have a drone that shoots HD quality video and I will fly yes. around your million dollar houses and you give me, you know, a quarter of a percent of every house that you sell and I'll do it for free. And then I've got mm -hmm. residual income. Right. And so there's, 
there's all of these type of things where you, I might not be monetizing it today because frankly, I yeah. don't, I don't want to, and I don't, I don't, I, I want to focus on what I'm focusing on. But yeah. in the back of my mind, I'm constantly thinking of, you know, if I needed to, could I flip a switch and turn this into something? Yes. And I could. It, it, this is a huge thing to kind of mention. Like, um, like I have a lot of things in my back pocket and that actually puts me in a much more stable position at my workplace as well, because I know the value I bring to my workplace and right. that's actually a really comfortable position to be in. Um, keep in mind, like I'm, I'm right with Corey where I would be in a really terrifying position if I yeah. lost my job. I've got a five-year-old at home and a wife who's a stay at home mom. And so my income supports like an entire little family and the idea of that income just being cut dry, you know, there would be a really rough uh, period of time to kind of um, adapt from that. But here's the neat thing, because I've worked in so many different fields, like I can go back to uh, apparel design. There's a million apparel companies in the Los Angeles area. I can go into animation. I've done backgrounds for animation. Um, I could go into storyboarding work because I've been pretty proficient at storyboarding and you can make pretty good money doing non-union storyboarding. It's really hard to get in the storyboard artist union. Um, if you can, you're set. Um, but it's very hard. There's like two ways to do it and they're both close to impossible. So it really requires a lot of fortune um, aside from just knowing people. Um, but I also I also have a lot of friends uh, who are employed in various fields that I could hit up. Um, and hopefully I haven't been a jerk to them. So they'll, they'll, uh, you know, uh, you know, be interested. I can do web design. I can build, you know, uh, WordPress sites from nowhere because of what Corey's opened my mind to. And also because of the fact that I've art directed, it does put you in this position where you start just kind of learning things that you had no idea you could do. Um, and you're constantly in a position where you're achieving the impossible by leading teams. And that leadership skill is really hard to replace. Um, there's a small amount of people in the world that can handle the level of stress um, and kind of thinking on your toes that creative directing and art directing requires. And uh, and it's, it's interesting because I totally relate to what Corey's talking about where I, I might have gotten good at um, typography, but my good at typography is nowhere near as good as like a classical calligrapher or someone who's, you know, done lettering, hand lettering for, for a lifetime or learned all the technical know-how of it. But just, I'm really good at learning things by necessity. And so what's interesting is I do find myself in a position where I want to just be kind of managing people who are better than me um, and are specialists because specialists are the best. Um, but I do find myself being kind of a chameleon where I can work in a million different styles. I can kind of approach problems from a million different directions. And I do find that that puts me in a much more, um, like stable mindset for myself when it comes to the idea of like a looming market out there. Also, I just, because of the fact that, um, and, and Scott can attest to this too, because, um, a lot of people would look at sort of a, a person who's approaching freelance and just being like, I, I'll just do this. I don't really need a boss, you know? Um, what's interesting is when you've done it and you've made it work for years, <laughs> um, you always know you can go back to it. 
and you always know it's just a matter of kind of like some of it's just a matter of swallowing pride and making cold calls and, you know, hustling and uh, bugging people you have no business bugging because, you know, like honestly, um, when it comes to talent, I like to me, I love the fact that all three of us are, are talented and, and I feel intimidated by the talent you both have, which is part of why I like doing this. It, it makes me want to up my game every time we do an art check or anything like that. But what's cool about it is thinking about just the world of talent out there. I don't think any of us are like the top. <laughs> um, there's guys that just like, honestly, like they don't have work and they're a million times better than any of us. So it, what's interesting is to me, I think that's fascinating too. I think the fact that um, I think we all hustle <laughs> and we're all, pretty proficient at that like and, and i don't think it's it's beyond any of us to just be like i don't know like i want to work for this person i'm going to contact them um and i think that gives us an advantage as well because i think there's some really highly talented people who won't like just won't do it won't, won't send out an email to like an art director they've always wanted to work with there's and a- uh, i think none of us are the type that are like like you know, I mean, we've I've applied for some awards this year that I will not get, but I I've had weird things, weirder things happen. So yeah, you know, like I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like you get this resilience from having been in the fight. You know, where you're just like, I don't know if that fight comes, I'm not too intimidated because um, I've had some pretty big disappointments. What's another one? <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. Well, yeah, and I but, think uh, there's a I think there's a ton to be said for talent and skill, right? Yeah. But um, but it's one piece of the puzzle, and so yeah. the most talented person in the world who never finishes a project is completely useless. Actually, worse than yeah. useless because they are Agreed. they're a drain and they're they're a drain in time and money. Because if if as a business, so here's here's something that I find super fascinating. If you guys are looking, if you guys are looking at this from a business perspective. Um, I, I, I was at a lecture a couple of years ago and did a video on this, um, talking about risk management. Um, yeah. companies, companies don't look at things, um, you know, the same way that, that creatives do creatives look at things and they say, wow, that thing is so valuable because of its intrinsic beauty or its message or whatever. Yeah. And companies look at stuff as, as, uh, risky, right. And so they're very risk adverse. And so yeah. if you want to increase the value you know, of your startup to venture capitalists or whatever, all you have to do is remove risk. So you identify yeah. a risk and you remove that risk. And I was just watching, because uh, Scott just turned me on to Chris Dew, um, who's phenomenal, by the way. He's and so I, much better than Chris Don't. Right. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah. No, and I've been, I've been, uh, I've been marathoning through his videos uh, the last couple of days. But one thing that he mentions is, as a graphic designer, um, you know, if you come if you come to a business and and you start talking creativity or whatever, they're gonna be like, ah, you know. But if you come to them and you're like, you know, the reason I charge this much is because I'm less risky, right? Yep. Is if you can if you can show that you're a sure bet. And so if I can go to people and say, you know, hey, listen. Um, I haven't done this particular thing, but here are all the things that I've finished that I didn't even need to. And here's yeah. the stuff that I've done that I've been required to do that I finish. And being able yep. to finish and deliver and be reliable 
is something that people um, people in business can understand. They're like, okay, well, I don't get this whole creative, fluffy thing that you're doing, but I do know that my customers want it, and I also know that I need somebody who's gonna who's gonna show up on time, that isn't gonna be flighty, yes. and is gonna get the work done and deliver it in a in a way and that I understand. And so, if you can if you can speak the language of business and you can deliver um, finished products that are that are on spec and according to you know the RFP or the you know which is request for proposal or the uh, the creative brief or whatever whatever objectives that you know the business sets out. If you can yeah. meet those objectives, then that type of thing um, reduces their risk, right? And so as yes. soon as they see you as not risky, they're willing to give you more money. And if they so see you as something. risky, then they're like, yeah, okay, you might be great, and that's an amazing illustration, but I don't know if you're going to show up. I love it. This was something I had to deal with, like, um, and it's something I'm trying to kind of mentor um, people I know on. But it's like, um, so, so I had uh, an incident where somebody wanted to kind of make some corporate change recently, and uh, and I was like, let's do it, you know. And the first thing I asked was like, well, okay, so, but if we pitch this, like, um, I, I agree with all your points of like what'll be beneficial for us, but let's 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 step back a little bit and give it like a, a holistic view from like an objective standpoint of the person you're kind of approaching with this change. Like how, how is it a win for them? Yeah. And then not just that, like what's their biggest concern when you propose this thing? And then how do you kind of mitigate that concern? Because if you can actually address that, like that, you know, like let's say you're, let's say you're proposing a wild idea to uh, the people who handle the money um, the first thing they're going to think is like, what are all my risks? What, what are all of the things that could possibly go wrong? That's how you make your pitch. You, you base it around like, and, and in fact, a more compelling pitch is you actually own those things. You say, okay, so these are possible risks, but um, here's how we mitigate those risks and how it's not actually a risk and how it's a win for you. And you back it with numbers. You back it with actual financial numbers. Um, that's literally that, that ability to do that as, um, an art director, um, is a really unusual one. I know from the fact that like, I'm not the first art director where I work. And I, I know that that's actually a skill that I have that a lot of artists don't. And a lot of that skill comes from having run my own business. And so understanding that like, like investing in, um, staff or investing in resources and computers and things like that. When you've had to do it yourself, you know that that that's a hit. That's that's a loss. That's like something when you're running your own thing, you hold off every day on getting a new computer because you know the cost of that. Right. You know the cost of a new computer. And so, being somebody who can be in creative and yet also understand cost and understand um, like negotiation for for you know the best rate you can get for you know the highest delivery um that's that's a strange thing for creative and i think i think corey you're dead on about that like if you can kind of start getting to a point where you can handle both then you become a much more valuable kind of commodity in the market because there's a lot of people who can direct people to make beautiful things there yeah. there are there's a ton but how many of those people can do that on a budget, not overextend the budget, um, be cautious about expanding staff too quickly, um, understand the cost of large staff, understand the cost of 
hiring like the guy you really want to hire, but the guy you really want to hire charges a certain percentage per hour that your budget can't fulfill. Um, and just understanding the realities of, of business, it's, it's a really um, rare thing. And so that's something that without being cocky, I can say I'm fairly good at. And I, I don't meet a lot of artists who are, which I don't expect because like, like Corey was saying, I mean, we're both, uh, Corey and I are both in a position, Scott was in this position like a year ago, you know, where to me, like the things I want to pursue aren't necessarily um, the financial win tomorrow. I just want to make really great art. And uh, I think we're all in that position. I think we all philosophically feel that way. Like we want to just make really cool things that have intrinsic value. Um, but the ability to kind of back up from that and also realize like, you know, I, I don't know, I guess it would be objectivity. Yeah. <laughs> Being able to just kind of step back, put yourself in somebody else's shoes. That gives you a real viability in the market. And and take um, it. And some of that does come from like hard times where maybe you do have to work construction. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a bad thing um, for for like young artists to have a job that's not an art job. Right. Because I think that actually helps prevent a lot of like the entitlement that that can kind of turn off. I think business people are are much more savvy about those kind of things because a lot of them did have to work, you know, remedial jobs and stuff to get where they got. Right. Um, and so I think being able to have that knowledge of, of that reality, like you tell a construct, you know, you tell somebody in construction, like, yeah, you know, I, I want to lay this pipe, but can't we just buy like pipe that's 20 times more expensive, even though this one's compliant and it, but it'll just be so much more beautiful. It's like they, they, you would get laughed out of right. a construction job having that kind of attitude. And yet artists, we always have that attitude. And I understand that as well but it's interesting being able to navigate both i think is a good thing i don't know that's a ramble but yeah but yeah. and i also you you triggered something that i want to i, I want to kind of give scott a softball pitch but like yeah. i think uh, i think think about the value um to a business of your personal projects um yeah not not that your personal projects in and of themselves um that the businesses are even going to be interested like no business is going to look at not no business, but most businesses are not going to look at my stuff and go, oh, yeah, I, I totally want that, you know, weird screaming hamburger skull thing that you've got going on. You know, like it's, it's super niche, right? But they yeah. can look at that and they can say, they can say, oh, you finished stuff. And this this is something like I think yeah. you could look at Scott Circland and there's there's not a business person alive that spends more than five minutes looking anywhere he is on the Internet. That yeah. wouldn't that wouldn't come away thinking that is a guy who produces consistent quality, that yeah. a, a consistent amount of quality work in several different styles and several different media, and so if they need anything along those lines, yeah. you can look at what Scott's done, and maybe they're not into like eighties nostalgia zombie comics, but they're gonna see like that's a lot of drawing and a lot of pages. Uh, yeah. in, in addition to doing, you know, uh, the, the, this this email marketing campaign with this with this uh, kind of loss leader that shows yeah. strategy, and you know, you can kind of look at that. So, um, Scott, have you have you noticed that um, that you've gotten gigs, um, paying gigs because of some of the uh, the the types of projects or or the amount of projects or the quality of projects that you're doing on your own? 
Yeah, actually, it's funny you brought that up because just today I had a conference call with, a, I would say, a potential client, but this is a client I've worked with before, but in a totally different industry. And this project that they're talking to me about is something that I've never done, which is more of a consulting um, uh, um, role. position. Consult- yeah. Role. Yeah, there's another word for it, but that 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 works too. So yeah, it's a consulting role, and um, and you know this is something very different than you know it's it's nowhere near like the robots, the aliens, all that kind of stuff. It's it's totally different. But yeah, them having worked with me before and knowing kind of my approach to design and everything, um, they wanted to know if I first of all if I could kind of look over the website and basically basically their whole marketing approach and give feedback, you know, and, you know, do that as a consultant. And actually, I got some questions for you guys after the show. I'll, I'll bring that up regarding this. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, so I, uh, yeah, I kind of, so I looked everything over and, and I kind of told them what I thought and they were just, you know, everything I said, it was like, oh, this is gold. This is gold. And it's just, to me, it's just like, this is like easy stuff. I mean, this is just what you do, yes. but. But maybe it's just because I've done it for so long that it seems like it comes so easy to me. But when I'm telling them this stuff, it's like, oh, man, uh, you know, this is great already. So, you know, for me, it's like, well, this isn't even like really my area of expertise, but I guess it is. It just I guess I'm just so, you know, I guess I'm just used to it. You know? Yeah. And along along those lines, I got a huge promotion one time because I started to be viewed as kind of a social media expert in inside of the company that I was working for and they they were like hey you always know what you're talking about in these meetings you tend to have these great ideas of recent changes in social media a hundred percent of the reason that I knew anything about that was not because I care about social media or because I was um, you know doing whatever studying the different things or I had gone to yeah. some class it was because I had a webcomic and so yep. when, when, uh, you know, when Facebook updates their algorithm or when, you know, YouTube adds a feature or when Twitter, uh, you know, like does increases or whatever, like I knew about it because I saw it as a potential, um, you know, promotional thing for my personal project. Now they were completely uninterested in my webcomic, but they saw yep. the value, um, that I was able to bring to the table because those skills, um, translate. You know, and so if you're going through and you are promoting your YouTube channel and you're trying to figure out, you know, like how AdWords work and, and you know, what what happens if you can stretch 20 bucks in, a, in an ad campaign, then when somebody comes to you and they say, hey, uh, you know, we've been looking at maybe throwing a couple thousand dollars at this thing and seeing if we can promote it. Well, you've got this little microcosm of your own personal project and you've got some experience in that. And you can say, well, hey, you know, I know that this works and this doesn't. And this is something that uh, I couldn't afford to do, but it seemed really interesting. We could try that. And then all of a sudden the doors start opening because not because you've like set yourself up as some self-proclaimed guru, but because you have in the field on the ground rubber meets the road practice based on your personal projects. Yeah, and I think like um, I, I would say there, there's been a couple things like that. Like I mean, Threadless um, started as just like a passion project because I really liked T-shirt art, right? And I liked skateboard art, and I was really into like Santa Cruz decks and stuff as a kid. And I was working for an education company, and it was just an outlet of just not drawing happy kids. 
And yet, um, because of that, like I've been in a position just professionally where I've been able to say, like, I've actually started trends that have been ripped off all the way to like Warner Brothers. Like Warner Brothers has ripped me off. Like I actually started trends and yeah. like trends that um, were like in retail, like they hit Target, they hit Walmart, you know. And, uh, you know, I've made designs that li like literally led um, the whole look of things for a couple of years and or at least were a part of it. And I can say that without being cocky. And that's kind of a neat position. But it's not like I went out being like, I'm going to lead trends. I'm going to get ripped off by these major corporations and stuff. It, it actually was just pursuing passion. And that's that's the part that I really think artists need to be doing because once again, the things you're learning, like even when you're doing cartooning, like that's a huge thing. When you're doing cartooning, you're learning so much about composition, about layout, about typography, about letting, about um, proper pacing. And a lot of those things like come into play with graphic design, like on a level that's unbelievable. So you get better um, at all these applicable skills within a workplace by just kind of pursuing things. Perfect example, Corey got me into After Effects, so I just noodled around and made a music video for my band. I didn't do that for like any other reason just than just for fun. And then that was an applicable skill within my workplace within a month. Um, and it's like a viable skill that it's like I wouldn't have had had I not just been kind of had a spirit of play. And, and that's why... I think for your sanity, and that's what I mean by market viability, you got to be doing personal projects. And I think to weather the storm uh, when it comes to feast and famine, that's the same thing because I don't think a lot of the time the big money stuff is always going to lead to the next big money stuff. What's weird is the big money stuff is there to kind of provide you resources so that you can pursue the fun stuff. Um, and that's the, even with the way I, I view my workplace, it's like, I view it as a way to facilitate, uh, creatives, like being able to pay their rent so they can make cool stuff when they're at home. Um, but I do think if you're not making cool stuff when you're at home, if you're not working on personal projects, I really do think like a part of your artistic soul dies, a part of that playfulness and that, that receptiveness to like learning new things kind of dies. And then, like I said, if, if you're a company man and the company goes, um, it, it's not the best position to be in. If you're a company man, that's not a bad thing to be loyal to a business. I think that's, the you know, businesses like loyalty. Um, but at the same time, like, if you're in a position where you are constantly kind of in flux and, and really pursuing things you love, um, like I think what Corey was bringing up about Scott is a perfect example like as as an art director i'd have no hesitation like hiring scott for freelance because i know he'd deliver on deadlines like the guy puts out like a video consistently he's never missed um you know his video updates and i mean you know to me there's just a real consistency to the professionalism uh, like i've rarely seen i don't think i've ever seen scott put up something that doesn't look professional doesn't look finished doesn't look branded and it's like, so to me, just that in itself, um, of course, that's going to lead to work, you know. But if you're, uh, you know, um, working in, I don't know, I'm going to be hypothetical here, but you're working for Disney and all you're doing is Disney stuff and it's all owned by Disney. 
um, when you walk out of there, like what's interesting, like I said, I've mentioned this before, but when you go to like the NCS, the National Cartoonist Society, and you meet guys who work at Disney, they're not asking you where you work. They want to see what you're working on. Like, and I mean you, like not, not what's the movie you're optioned on. Yeah. Like what, what's your thing? What's your next project? What's your thing that you're making? Um, that's what unites all of those guys. If you go into there and you're just like, well, I've just been making stuff for other people. It, it usually doesn't go over too well. Cause it's like, n- none of them are interested in the stuff you're making for other people, unless it's like something you started, you know? Right. I don't know. So to me, I think that's, um, that's huge. And I think that's the biggest thing with feast and famine. You can't assume that the feast is going to last forever. And uh, I think if you're preparing for famine, you're going to be doing exactly what we're doing now with silly projects like, you know, um, making stickers, making comics, doing things that you're passionate about. Because if you're not, I, I really do think there's something in your soul as an artist that dries up. And I think the market can sense it, too. It's a weird thing. But, yeah. And I also know that because I've, I've had times where I've stopped completely doing personal projects and uh have have seen the effects you know on my own personal work and also just psychologically i don't think it's healthy yeah i agree so that was rambly man what a good topic though um so any other suggestions for like preparing for feast and famine i would say when you're in a feast also just like gobble it up man because you got you got to hibernate um, yeah i i would say the one the one thing that is a topic unto itself that is not a fun thing to do or even talk about um, is uh, is living within your means and and yes. that's it's it's exceptionally uncommon um, you know yeah. and um, that that is something that I that I hear fairly consistently um, you know like throughout kind of the creative world but I mean if you uh, if you are able to um, you know, like spend less than you earn, um, you're doing better than a significant portion of the developed world. And, uh, and, and what that does, and maybe, so maybe you don't live in the coolest place, you know, like I, my, my family, we live in a place that, you know, like is very cold and very remote. Um, you know, but like we're able to afford a house on a single income, you know, and like, um, you know, we drive, We've been driving the same car that we bought for three thousand dollars. Uh, I don't know, like eight years ago or something, and it's it's a yep. piece of junk and it keeps running. So we haven't bought a new one, but I haven't had a car <laughs> payment um, since two thousand and five. Um, yeah. You know, and so there's there's things like that where um, doing that allows you the freedom. Now, I would love to drive a nicer car. Uh, you know, I would love to have you know, um, some of the things that I see people getting, but at the same time, a lot of the people that I see that have these really nice things are constantly stressed out because they're constantly in debt. And there's, there are situations where there are people that want to leave their job, but they can't afford to make less because their, their cost of living is such that it's called golden handcuffs. And so, you know, this situation for creatives is, is super interesting because, if you put your fulfillment in the materialistic things that you own and, and I'm a spender, I, I enjoy buying things. Um, but if that's where I get my fulfillment in life, 
Yeah. You're setting yourself up for failure. If you can if you can fall in love with the process of creation and fall in love with finishing products and, and showing people things that you're making, um, that's a significantly less expensive way to live, which actually means that it allows you to um, live a lifestyle that many people can't because they're locked into kind of this consumerism uh, culture of of you know consumption and keeping up with your neighbors and buying things to make you feel good when you're sad yeah. um, and and doing all of that is is really super detrimental to your mobility and 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 your options and so that's that's yeah. the one thing we kind of touched on really really slightly maybe that's a whole topic unto itself but if you're in debt get out and if you're not in debt stay out. And, uh, you know, if, if there are ways that you can, that you can cut things that you're not using, um, or, you know, if you can pay something off, but you're not, you're not for some reason, like do all of those things. And, and the freedom that that frees up mentally, you'll see that you'll be more creative and more productive. And like, if something comes like right now in my situation, if I get a client that comes to me and says, Hey, I want you to do this thing. And I don't want to do that thing. I don't feel obligated to do that thing. I can say, "Hey, you know what? That's not that's not really my style. Let me point you in the direction of some people that would that would love to take some work because I don't need it, right? I'm yes. not I'm not I'm not like barely keeping my eyes above water, you know, like freaking out looking for the next buck because yeah. we've chosen to live in a specific way. Yeah, and I like, you know, I'll speak, you know, I'm not completely out of debt, you know, um but what's interesting is my wife and I are constantly working on being out of debt. And one thing that fascinates me is people saying, I wish I had enough time to like do whatever. Um, but I don't because of whatever. But then I find out that they just went to like the newest, like they went to see Captain Marvel or they're, they're seeing like, you know, uh, movies in the theater, like all the time. And like my wife and I like barely go see movies in the theater. We barely go out to eat. We'll like, you know, we rarely ever go on vacation. Um, and these are just things that like, I don't feel like I've lost something because I realize like if I do a vacation, then I have to take three freelance clients right? and then we're further in debt. And then I have less time to work on this, you know, project that I want to work on that may not have like money at the end of the rainbow. And I've come to terms with that because I've realized after doing art that's just for money for a very long period of time, like I just, I, I really do want to actually make art I'm proud of. Um, but that comes at a cost and it comes at a cost of like, like Scott was saying, you know, where it's like you have to be able to kind of budget and, and live within the means of an artist. And that doesn't always equate to good things. Um, this isn't to like support the starving artist thing. I think if you're an artist and, and you don't realize there's value and there's a potential to make money at it, I, I think that's a shame. Yeah. I've always kind of felt that way. Like there is value and there is a skill set. Like the cool thing about being an artist for a job is like it's one of the few jobs where you can take that skill and make more money if you need to. Yeah. Um, because there's a need for artists. And so it's this weird skill where you're not bound to your workplace. It's like the only people I can think that would be in a similar position is like, Maybe people who do plumbing or like, you know, have, have like a skilled trade, like maybe contract contractors, I think like housing contractors might be in a similar position where it's like, Hey, you can always lay pipe at somebody's house. Yeah. You know, you can always pour concrete for people. And that's a skill that like transcends just the place you work. And like, 
the cool thing about being an artist, you're in a similar position. But um, but I am always amazed at artists who don't find the time because they're broke, but they go to the bar all the time and they go out to eat all the time and they're constantly out like buying the cool new t-shirts or whatever. And not that any of that's bad, but it's just like, you know, understand like when you spend that money to go to the theater, you've just cost yourself like half a day of work. And so like, you know, was that worth half a day of work? Like what, what about the half a day you could spend working on your personal projects or spend like doing fruitful things like hanging out with your family and kid? Um, to me, like that's stuff I always consider. And I think that's a real mentality you need if you're going to go into freelance, because like I said, during famine periods, it's going to like, I, I will just say from having freelanced, I knew a lot of people who just couldn't cut it doing freelance full time. And part of it was because of that. The second there was famine, they just folded and ran. Um, whereas I was just this really stubborn person who just wanted to do it, wanted to run my own business. So I was going to pull it up out of nowhere. Um, there's a lot of people who just kind of fold in some of the positions, you know, cause my wife and I like every once in a while, you know, the roof would like the floor would fall out. Um, one thing that fascinates me though, is like people with day jobs just convince themselves they're not in the same position and they are like, there's literally no stability. Um, and there's kind of a beauty in that in just kind of accepting it. Um, but I, I agree that probably is a whole other topic <laughs> we could go for a long time on. Yeah. So Scott, any any final thoughts? Um, I there were there were a couple of times where I was going to jump in and then we kind of moved away from that. But just kind of going off of what you're saying as far as kind of budgeting and everything, um, and it doesn't it's not all it doesn't always have to be you know because for a beginning person starting off doing freelance and everything, um, getting you know getting paid enough where you have that money to kind of put away for either taxes or, or for when you eventually do have, you know, a, a famine period. Um, but like, for instance, it, it's, it, it's just, it's just budgeting and kind of being smart with your money because a lot of right now, the savings that I have usually anytime, you know, at the end of the year, and this will, this may change this year because thing you know, things have changed, but as far as my, you know, former employment position and all that kind of stuff. But when I would get a tax refund, you know, most people, all I hear you know, hear on the radio is like, Oh, bring in your, bring in, we'll do your taxes and we'll put your refund and we'll put it into a car, which is a horrible idea because they'll just bury that somewhere and you'll probably end up paying the same as you would if you didn't. But, but, um, but you know, all these, you know, people have already figured out what they're going to kind of spend their tax refund. And for me, I take that refund and that goes right into the bank and that's kind of what I live off of. I mean, that's kind of my backup. And right. and then eventually that kind of depletes and then, you know, up until now, you know, then you get another refund and yeah. so um but that's anytime if there's any if you have any kind of a windfall or anything really consider do you need to spend that? Is it crucial that you spend that money right now? I mean, I guess if you need to use it for to pay bills or whatever, yeah, but um you know, maybe it's not the best idea to go out and buy, you know, some new toy or something like that. If you can, if you can put it aside, especially if you kind of want to uh, put some savings aside so you can sort of build a freelance uh, business. But yeah, it's just, it's, it really is just money managing and stuff like that. And um, So I don't know. That's, yeah. That, 
Yeah, and I, I, I think um, just tying into cars too, you know, like living in California, it's a commuter city. So, like, it, you cannot live in California with a bad car, yeah. um, especially with the commute I have. So, I knew I had to get like a new car, but that was out of like actual need, not out of like some thing. Cause I'm like, you know, I bought a car like maybe two years ago and it's over a hundred thousand miles already on it. So, yeah, yeah. You know, for me, I mean, I've, got, I've got a newer car too, and it's just, part of it and it's i bought it used and it was was a rental so i mean but but there's some reasons why i did that and you know because there i do have a car payment and i'd rather not have a car payment because there was a point where i didn't have a car payment and then i got a car and you know but part of it is because for one i know nothing about cars so if i don't have a reliable car um i'm in trouble two you know i've i i had i had a before I had a Hyundai, uh, yeah. which it was it was a nice car. I mean, I liked it a lot. Um, but I have my my friend works for Nissan, so um, I kind of you know he kind of helped me find a good deal. So I went with the Nissan, and I've owned Nissans before, and I like Nissans too. They're great man, they'll last forever. Yeah, but but the thing is, I can take my car into him, and for one right now it's under warranty but when that yeah. warranty runs out i can he'll he'll basically he, he can hook me up with a guy who will basically do the work for dirt cheap mm-hmm. and i get the parts for for cost yeah and so so i mean it really for me that's a good investment so um otherwise you know if i just had any other car because they those guys didn't really every once in a while they would work on my hyundai but they didn't like to they want to work on nissan's um yeah. so it just for me that was sort of a smart decision so yeah and i recommend like you know because uh, you know like my wife and i were like we're not well off or anything like that we're, we're better off than a lot of people and i feel really fortunate um but like you know it's just like Corey was saying like we chose you know we could have chosen to like live in los angeles and if we were doing that we'd be in the negatives you know um instead we chose to live on like an outskirt town that's not the sexiest place to live, but it's a place we could afford to buy a house. And then similarly, like any, any time we can pay off a debt, we just roll that payment into the next debt. So I, I, I really recommend that because like, I'm imagining at some point we're going to be clear, but the only reason is because we're making like a conscious effort. Like we paid off one of the cars. Now our car payment goes to a different debt. And it's like, we just pretend the car payment never disappeared. And I think that kind of method can actually work incrementally. It's not as fun, though, because like I said, you know, one of those fake car payments is like going to 10 movies. But keep in mind, we don't go to those 10 movies. And to me, I'd rather have that debt eased than go to those 10 movies. And if you think about it, like I know people who are like way less well off as we are, and they'll go to like 10 movies in a month. And I'm like, that's a car payment right there. Like that's literally a car payment, a, a Starbucks coffee every day, like could be a car payment for a month. If you're buying one cup of Starbucks every day and I'm like, I get it. And I think we do need occasional moments of just like splurging or having fun and stuff like that. And that's half of what life's about anyway is enjoying yourself. But still, I do think it's like you, you really, I don't know. I think as an artist, especially if you're serious about wanting to go freelance, you really have to start budgeting for like, what is actually important to you? Um, is it more important to kind of do something that has longer term fulfillment? Because then you got to start things like this, like the 48 hour art check. 
um, you know, we could be spending this time spending money and like going to stores, and, <laughs> you know, um, and yet we're doing this to kind of keep ourselves accountable to make creative work. And it's, you know, there's a cost to everything. So it's one of those things where I hear people say they want to freelance. Um, and I, I rarely meet people who really want to freelance. Um, same with like, I hear people who say they want to make a living as an artist, but I rarely actually meet people who really want to make a living as an artist. Um, Cause it's, it's not necessarily, you know, you might have to take like a lower pay scale than what you otherwise get, or you might have to kind of pull back from some spending habits that you may not like pulling back from. It's just one of those things. And especially if you're going to go freelance when it's not like monitored, um, you know, like, like Scott was describing, you know, getting tax returns, that's usually kind of a luxury of, of people who've either paid their estimates. So they've been really smart with money, which I've never been good with. Um, or, or, or people who've like been working in house, you know, where it's like automatically getting deducted from a steady paycheck. But, you know, when you're freelance, it's like, there's a point where you're going to owe money because the taxes aren't, you know, automatically pulled out unless you're saving that, that nut and being smart financially. So like freelance is a real test by fire of like how much you can make a budget work and stuff like that. And I, I do think, um, it's cool. Like to me, that's cool. Even hearing just the thinking process you were describing of like buying that Nissan, why you bought the Nissan. It's like, to me, that's the kind of thinking you have to do if you want to kind of be able to make it work as an artist, you know, it's just, um, and not everybody, you know, there's some people who like option, you know, their, their story that they created for millions, you know, but if you're bad at budgeting with, you know, a small amount, imagine how quickly that million could disappear. You know, <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like, I think if somebody has trouble controlling it with a small amount, if they're given a ton, I mean, you're talking like potential massive debt, you know, because imagine the debt you can get in with a million bucks. I mean, I know that's weird, but it's like, if you can buy a Ferrari and you're you're having trouble buying like say like a Honda Accord instead of the Civic, you know, um, that matches your budget or whatever. Imagine like when you have the the money where you could justify spending on like something ridiculous. Like it's it's just it's not a, I don't think it's ever a bad discipline to just start actually being smart with money. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and you know I think the reality of art is it's just you know it it. Um, for most people, like we said at the top, you know, for a lot of freelancers, it's like there's a few that actually make a living as freelancers. Like if you pulled out all the other sources of income, like other family members, stuff like that, there's a very small amount. And then among those, like how many can sustain it? That's an even smaller amount. So if you want to be in that small amount, <laughs> I think uh, budgeting's good. Yeah. Victor in the chat said it's all about discipline. We've been going way long. <laughs> <laughs> I only, love this topic. Only an hour and 42 minutes. So. Oh, wow. Oh my <laughs> <laughs> all right. Should we call it, guys? I think yeah. we should. Because if I want to make it to my frozen yogurt place before it closes, <laughs> I've got 10 minutes. Just kidding. Oh, go. Go for it. All right. So, uh, yeah, thanks, everybody, for uh, jumping in the chats. If you want to check out Josh's stuff, you can go to quarterlystories.com. And check out my stuff, you can go to coreycurr.com. If you want to check out Scott's stuff, you can go to cirqueworks.com. And uh, there you will see proof 
that uh, we are people who make things and finish things often, um, which is something you guys should be doing. So, um, yeah, if you like this and you want to hear more, uh, go to CoreyKerr.com slash 48HR and uh, check out the podcast. And can, we, can I throw a Kickstarter real quick? I got a Kickstarter. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. Yes. Uh, Youngandthedead.com. It'll take you right to it. Okay, and not, we, we're, we're funded, but there's a stretch goal, right? Can you can you let them know a little bit about the stretch goal? The first stretch goal with our which are stickers, but the next stretch goal is going to. I think we're we're about five hundred dollars away from the next stretch goal, which will be a three D uh, zombie print with for, comes with three D glasses and everything. So, so make yeah. it happen, guys. Yeah. Okay, so go check out Scott's Kickstarter, and we'll see you guys in a couple days. <laughs>